0: The year's 2003. Anybody, any student born in 2003? Probably not, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay, some counselors maybe. Uh, 2003, and uh, my youth group, my college group. Sorry, I'm, I'm in college at this point. My college group decides to take a road trip to Bell's, Texas. Um, Bell's, Texas was the the place. <laughs> no worries. Uh, Bells, Texas was the the place where uh, Passion did One Day 2003. And one day was just an incredible time for me. It was uh, John Piper and Louis Giglio. It was David Crowder and Chris Tomlin. It was Shane and Shane and Beth Moore. And and it was 40,000 college students camping in a field, getting up early in the morning and running, down to get a, a spot close to the stage and worshiping all day yeah. it was incredible but the trip out there was not as incredible for me see uh back then we didn't have like cell phones that worked the way that they do now we had cell phones but they weren't like we could play snake on them you guys remember oh yeah God. those are my old people yeah so so we, uh, we also brought walkie-talkies with us. And uh, instead of texting from car to car, because you had to pay for each text message back then, uh, instead of texting, we would use the walkie-talkies. And everybody in my college group, we were split into three different cars. They decided that it was a really, really good idea to, uh, to play Bible trivia from car to car. Like we were those kind of nerds. And, and so um, what I realized in that moment is that I knew nothing is that I became a Christian at 17 years old, and I just stopped. Like I went to church on Sunday, but I didn't open up my Bible on my own. I didn't read the word, I didn't know it. I wasn't being discipled. And, and what I realized is as I sat in the back seat of my car and listened to everybody else play this Bible trivia game is that I, I was envious of their understanding of God's word. But really what I was doing is I was sitting in the back, being quiet, which I'm never quiet, by the way. Um, I I was feeling inadequate. I was feeling like I wasn't enough. And I don't know about you, but there have been a lot of times in my life just like that. A lot of times in my life where I didn't feel like I was enough. I played baseball all through college, and, and yet I was never the star of my team. I just I always seemed to just get by. And, and every time the coach put the lineup up, I was one of the first ones there just to see if my name was on there. I don't know if any of you can relate, but, but constantly I would feel inadequate. In school, I was a decent student, but I never felt like I did what I ought to, to do in school. Parenting. Man, parenting will humble you, right? Right, moms and dads? I never feel like I have the the playbook for how to parent my girls. Oftentimes I find myself feeling so inadequate as a parent that they're throwing a tantrum, which even pastors' kids do, and and I have no clue how to deal with it. Preaching at this camp. I get up on stage and I feel inadequate. I feel like I have nothing to offer. It's a, it's a, it's a, a plague on my life. And I'm just, I'm assuming I'm not alone. Like I'm assuming that there is a room full of people that at one time or another feel inadequate in how they live their lives and inadequate in what, what their faith looks like on a day-to-day basis. I think, I think we all feel inadequate. We all feel like we're not enough whether it's school or sports, whether it's parenting, whether it's friendship, whether it's dating. We look around and we go, if I was just like them, if I just had more to offer. And in this story, today I think we're gonna see an opportunity, something to do with the little that we have to offer. I told your counselors this morning for the first time since like Monday morning, we're just going to camp in one passage. We're not going to skip rocks. We're just going to camp in one passage. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 6. We get to slow down a little bit. John chapter 6. And in this story, we're going to see Jesus do an incredible act. He's going to do something that... I wish I got to be a part of. Like I wish I got to see it happen. There's there's a lot of things in the Bible I wish I got to see. This might be near the top of the list. Like Jesus uh, resurrected is probably at the top, but him bringing somebody back from the dead maybe at near the top. But this is one of probably the top five things I wish I got to see and be a part of. The story picks up in verse one. Says after these things, these things, all the miracles that Jesus was doing, right? In John chapter two, he turns water into wine all throughout the rest of the the chapters up to this point. He's healing people. People are walking. People are speaking. People are seeing. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the sea of Galilee. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples now the passover the feast of the jews was near and so jesus is on the sea of galilee it's about 8 miles across it's a pretty small it's a pretty small lake and and when we see when we read sea we think it's this big giant thing it's really not but jesus is is near the sea of galilee and, and all these crowds are forming all around him He's doing these incredible miracles and people just want to be near him. I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever been around someone that just seems to do all everything right, but Jesus is doing these incredible things and people, people are looking at him and his celebrity status is growing and growing and growing. And he's got groupies that are following him. Now people that just want to be associated with him. He's not their Messiah. He's their magician. He's their celebrity, and he wants to be, they want to be around him as much as possible. Have you ever heard of One Hit Wonders? So uh, my my eight-year-old, when she was younger, she used to go around the house singing who let the dogs out? Yeah. So she used to go around singing that. I don't know what kind of music my wife was listening to, but but she she would go around singing that song. And does anybody know who sings that song? No, you Baha Men. Abby's got it. Baha Men. So you how many of you have never heard of Baha Men? Okay. How many of you are like, I, I listen to all their records. How many of you know what records are? Anybody? Okay, good. Bahamun. Like the pinnacle of one hit wonders. You, you you know who let the dogs out, but you don't know any of their other songs. But, but when who let the dogs out came out, uh, th- it was the number one song everywhere. Everyone was singing it. Like it was the most annoying thing. Y- it, you either loved it or you hated it but either way it was stuck in your head right remember that so so it was it was it, it came out in 2000 and everyone was singing it you walk around and you see it everywhere and then they s- stopped producing and they weren't on top anymore and their fans went away and not anybody in this room can name another song that they put out see what what happens is that for fans, when, when things start to go bad, they leave. That's the difference between a disciple and a fan. They both, they both are, are, appear to be all in. They both are, are around all the time. They're, they love whoever they love when things are going well. But for a disciple, when things go wrong, they stick around. When things don't go the way they want them to go, they they stay. But a fan, as soon as things go wrong, they're out of there. If the circumstances in my life aren't right, if they're not exactly how I want them, then Jesus must not be real. That's a mark of a fan, not a disciple. And so I want to ask two questions of you tonight as we wrap up this week. The first I'm asking right now, do you want to be a disciple or do you want to be a fan? Disciple. That's good. Disciple. The second question we're going to discover is what do you have to offer? Do you really, are you really as inadequate to God as you think you are? As we... Continuing our story, Jesus finds himself trying desperately to withdraw from the crowds. He knows what's going on. And as he tries to withdraw from the crowds, he tries to to get alone with the disciples, and yet there's no way that he could shake these large crowds. And in that moment, I think what I would do if I'm having if I'm trying really hard to have a private moment with like a few of my best friends, I just, I think I would do anything to get away from the crowds. And that's what Jesus is doing. Um, And what you're going to see as our passage continues is that Jesus' heart for people. Because I know how I would respond, but Jesus doesn't respond that way. We see clearly that he wants to get away from the crowds. We see clearly that this wasn't his desire for people to be constantly pressing in on him. But he responds in a way that I never would. Look at John 6, verses 5 and 6. It says, therefore, Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that the large crowd was coming to him, still, even though he tried to withdraw, the crowd is coming. He says to Philip, where are we To buy bread so that these may eat this he was saying to test him for he himself knew what he was intending to do and so jesus is he's on the he's on the side of this hill and he's trying to withdraw and the crowds are like we don't care we're coming anyway we want to be around you we've seen what you're going to do and we've seen what you have done and we don't want to miss it and so they go up on this hillside the Bible's going to tell us that it's 5,000 5, men plus women and plus children. And Jesus looks at Philip, five thousand men, and he says, "Where are we going to buy enough bread to feed these?" It's like Jesus has a sense of humor, right? He looks at he looks at all these this crowd and he goes, "Where are we going to find enough bread to feed all these people?" The answer is nowhere. He knew what he was saying. But Jesus is going to use this moment to test the faith of his disciples. Here in John chapter 6, he says, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? In Luke 9, he says, you go and give them something to eat. Jesus asks Philip a question he knows that there's no earthly answer to. He wants to see, after all the years that he spent pouring into them until this point, after all the time, the hours, the, the minutes that he's been pouring into them, what have they learned? And what we see from Philip, just like what we often do, is he's going to lean on his own understanding. And then Philip and Andrew begin to explore the only two options that they see before them. Look at verse 7 and following. It says, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many people? And so Philip goes, man, we don't even have enough money. We couldn't do it if we tried. There is nothing we have to offer. And then Andrew, he goes, all we have are these five barley loaves and two fish. And so they look and, and they decide there's only two options. either a, we find a way to to buy the food. That was Philips idea or or two, we find some food here that might be enough to feed everyone. And I imagine as Andrew opened his mouth and said we we got these. These five loaves, of, these five barley loaves and two fish. I imagine the disciples all laughing. I mean, I don't know. The text doesn't tell us, but, but can you imagine if, if I said I was going to feed everyone in this room, everyone in this room with five loaves of five little things of bread and two fish, you guys would laugh. It would be a joke. We go, haha. ha, let's go to the dining hall. Like it would, it wouldn't make any sense. But they can only see the worldly answers. They can only see what their power could do. And I think this is one of the biggest problems in the church today. I think that we look around and we look at what we don't have instead of who we do have. We look at what we don't have instead of who we do have and what he's given to us, what we have to offer. Because it's the way that the disciples looked at the problem. And now they're they're left without a solution. So Jesus answers his own question. He baits them. He's waiting for them to to remember the the faith that they have in him as the Messiah. And, And he It's almost like he just sits there waiting and waiting and waiting through the awkward silence and finally Jesus is gonna speak. Look at verse 10. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in this place. So the men sat down in number, about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Likewise also of the fish as much as they wanted. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, Now gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. And so, we see Jesus, despite the, the lack of worldly solutions, despite the the, the the picture that his disciples had of how how this problem can or can't be solved, we see Jesus coming. And he organizes people into the groups and, and he, he prays a, a prayer of thanksgiving. He starts breaking the, the five little barley loaves and two fish. So, so we're not, when we're, I, want, I want you to know when we're talking about this meal What we're talking about is not five giant loaves of bread, not like it would matter. It's not two giant tunas like it would matter. It's five crackers and two anchovies. The reason I know that is because the boy was from a a poor class. He was lucky to even have that in his lunch. Nobody else in the whole group had anything to eat. This boy picks up his sack lunch in the morning. He heads out. To do whatever he did that day, and all he had were five little rice cakes and two little sardines. And Jesus takes those. He takes those and, and, and he, he breaks the bread and he he starts pass he starts having his disciples pass them out. And they start passing them out to over ten thousand people. And it just keeps multiplying and multiplying. See, Jesus took what that little boy had and he multiplied it. It wasn't, Jesus wasn't waiting for the disciples to solve this problem that couldn't be solved. He was waiting for them to look to him to solve the problem that couldn't be solved. And this boy comes with this, these five barley loaves and these two fish. And Jesus is like, that's all I need. It's not that he needed the five barley loaves and the two fish. He needed the willingness. He needed whatever the boy had. And so, so he gives them, and he does incredible, incredible things. Have you ever seen the show Fixer Upper? HGTV's My Guilty Pleasure. Yeah, I'm I'm just here. I'm doing Yeah, I, I'm glad some of you are willing to admit it. Some of you are like, you're not a man anymore. Um <laughs> So fixer-upper, flip-or-flop, uh, the, the people on these shows, what I love about it is they take the ordinary and they make them extraordinary. Like, I feel like I should promote HGTV. So uh, they, they take these houses, they're run down, they're the worst house in the best neighborhood, and they put a little bit of work into it, and, and they take an ordinary, average, maybe even below-average house, and when they're done with it, it's extraordinary. It's beyond what you could have ever thought. It's it, it's incredible. And this is what Jesus is doing, but on a much grander scale. He takes things we consider to be average or ordinary or plain, and he does incredible and extraordinary things with it. He takes five loaves and two fish. That wasn't even enough food to satisfy a growing boy. And he turned it into enough food to stuff Full a group of around ten thousand people. We look at this story. And I'm guessing those of you who grew up in the church, you've probably read this story dozens and dozens of time. Dozens and dozens of times. And and we look at this story and we go, Wow. Wow, that's incredible that Jesus did that all the way back then. Wow, that's, that's so incredible. But when we, we come up to our own hard times, we forget that this story's even in the Bible. We forget that Jesus has the power to take the ordinary and make it extraordinary. I have a, I have a friend, his name's Brian, Brian King. He's a pastor at the well with me and he's, he's just an incredible guy. I met him when I first moved to Fresno. He wasn't on staff yet, but he was leading a, a ministry in inner city. Southwest Fresno. The ministry's called Street Saints, and the reason why he was able to go into that part of Fresno, and the reason why he was able to share Jesus with that part of the population is because he had his own street cred. See, Brian's from Chicago. (laughs) Brian was the number two in the largest gang on the south side of Chicago. The stories that this man has of depravity you wouldn't even believe. He's gone and lived a hard life. Sold drugs on the street. He had more money than he could have ever wanted. Been in and out of jail. And yet on a trip to Fresno dozens of years ago, Jesus found him. Jesus found him and and he can't explain it. He wasn't looking for Jesus. He wasn't interested in God. He was just coming out here to hang out with a friend and he wanted to go straight back to straight back to Chicago, straight back to the life he's always lived. His mom bought a suit, or his uncle bought a suit. And he told him, Boy, this is this is a suit that I bought because I know I'm gonna need to wear it to your funeral. Now he's 60 plus years old, serving the Lord in Fresno. And here's the, thing, here's the thing I want you to know. I'll tell him you clap for him. Here's the thing I want you to know. Brian came to Fresno with nothing to offer God. He didn't grow up in the church. He didn't have an incredible trust fund. He didn't, he didn't have even relationships in Fresno. He knew one guy. And yet, over 20 years, he grew a ministry to be one of the most impactful ministries Fresno has ever seen. Not because of who he is or what he has to offer, but because he was willing. See, Brian looked at Jesus and he said, I should be dead. But for somehow you made me alive. Here's all I have to offer. He didn't have a college education. He didn't have family here but he did have experiences of living on the street that meant he could go down into Southwest Fresno and people would listen to him about what God did in his life to transform him forever. God did something incredible in Brian's life. He took the ordinary that he had to offer and he made it extraordinary. That, That day that the boy was approached by Jesus and, and he says here this is all I got you think he expected Jesus to take that bread and that fish and feed everyone there he didn't he didn't know what God was going to do but when Jesus said I want this he said here you go Lord and he gave it to him and you may be wondering what does this have to do with me I don't have any bread or fish I don't even have a car to get to the grocery store. Jesus told the boy, just give me what you do have and I'll do the rest. I want to say that again because I want you to think about what that means for you. Jesus said, he didn't say, hey, go find a way to feed all these people. He said, just give me what you do have and I will do the rest. That's the God that we serve. And so the question I want you to think about is what are my five loaves and two fish? What are your five loaves and two fish? What do you have to offer? Because we can walk around this world thinking we're inadequate, that we don't have enough, that God couldn't possibly do things through me that he wants to do. We can walk around this world thinking that, or we can look and see, how did God gift me? What experiences did he give me? What, what, what do I have to offer? And we can say, God, I don't know what you're going to do with this. But everything I have is yours. Do with it whatever you want. And maybe you don't think you have anything to offer the world. Maybe you look around and go, I struggle in school, not athletic, the girls won't even look at me. The beautiful thing is, as we talked about the Holy Spirit yesterday, The Bible says that when you put your faith in Jesus, that everyone's given a gift, at least one. Nobody has all of them. Some people have multiple, but everybody who puts their faith in Jesus has at least one gift. Some of you have experiences in your life. Maybe you're athletes. Man, that's one tough place for your youth pastors to get into is your team. But you know who can? You. I don't know what it looks like for you. I don't know. I mean, I've spent a week with you and, and there's no way I could possibly find out what all of your gifts are, what all of your experiences are, what all of your personalities are like. But here's one thing I can promise you. God has given you gifts and talents and experiences. And if you're willing, he wants you to use him for his king them for his kingdom. That's not even questionable. So my hope is that if you're here and you read a story like this boy who just had these five loaves and two fish, That as you prepare to head down the mountain, you start thinking about the places, the circles of influence that God has put you in, the classes, the teams, the families, the school. And that you'll start going, God, I don't know how you're gonna use me. And honestly, when I look at my school, I don't even know how you're gonna make a dent. There were 10,000 people to feed. It's okay to say, God, I don't know how you're going to do this, but but you have to follow that with, but but here's my five loaves and two fish. I'm willing to give you whatever I have so that you can take the ordinary and make it extraordinary. And I, I'm excited for you. I'm excited for you to take a step back and just simply be willing to to take part in what God's doing in your life and in your circles of influence, in your community, in your schools, on your teams, in your churches. Guys, there are a lot of unsaved people that show up to church every single Sunday. And I'm excited for you to get to Watch God work. See, this boy is sitting on the side of a hill, 5,000 people around, and he's he's, he's getting a front row seat to watch God work. Not because of anything he did. He probably didn't even pack his own lunch that day. But simply because he was willing, he watches as Jesus takes those Five loaves and those two fish and gives it to his disciples and then they go out and they they feed these ten thousand people and he's just going, Oh my gosh, that was my sack lunch. That's all I had. And Jesus took everything I had, what little I had to offer, and he did this. That's what I want you to experience, but you only get to experience it if you're willing to give God the little that you have and watch him do the rest. Father, thank you. God, we know the power, the higher power is you. Lord, we know that we are inadequate for everything you want to do in and through us. Lord, we can't transform hearts. We can't transform minds. We can't even change ourselves. But you do. You are the God of the universe. And yet, God, you saw fit to give us all just something little, a gift that we can use for your glory, for your kingdom. And Lord, I pray that this would be a room that would be excited by this week, that this would be the beginning tonight of a movement in their schools and on their teams and in their cities because they are willing to give you their five loaves and two fish. Lord, and I pray that they each Get to experience the joy of watching you take what little they have to offer and do incredible things. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.